Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Please join me in welcoming Tommy Pico and Melissa Broder. Instant rain. Fall in all the wells at the same time. Yes, I think I am having a human experience. I died in the mind. I died today. The blue sun in the blue sky, like my face. My face could never hide anything. I went under my face and found curtains. I played a girl. Lunar shatters. I came into the world a young man. Then I broke me off. Still the sea and clouds are Pegasus colors. My heart is Pegasus colors, but to get there, I must go back. Back to the time before I was a woman. Before I broke me off to make a flattened lap. And placed therein a young man, where I myself could have dangled. And how I begged him enter there, my broken young man parts. And how I let the mystery collapse with rugged young man puncture. And how I begged him turn me Pegasus colors. And pleased to put a sunset there. And gone forever was my feeling snake. And in its place dark letters. And me the softest of all. And me so skinless I could no longer be naked. And me I had to debanshee. And me I dressed myself. I made a poison suit. I darned it out of myths. Some of the myths were beautiful. Some turned ugly in the making. The myth of the slender girl. The myth of the fat one. The myth of rescue. The myth of young men. The myth of the hair in their eyes. The myth of how beauty would save them. The myth of me and who I must become. The myth of what I am not. And the horses who are no myth. How they do not need to turn Pegasus. They are winged in their unmyth. They holy up the ground. I must holy up the ground. I sanctify the ground and say fuck it. I say fuck it in a way that does not invite death. I say fuck it and fall down no new holes. And I ride an unwinged horse. And I unbecome myself. And I strip my poison suit. And wear my crown of fuckets. Man's search for meaning. There is a lot of love, and then there isn't. Then there is. I look to the shit doors for love because they glitter. Oh, the glittery shit. So much more magnetic than what I have inside me. Inside me is more shit, but not glittery. Though below the shit is maybe a fucking temple. 
And when one shit door closes, you must build another shit door from the dregs of reality and shit mind. Oh, bless those dregs with fantasy, and therein lies your glitter. Yes, bless that glittery shit door, so much like the first door. But this door will be different, really. Infinite shit doors if you want them, really. I want them. Big Tide. Nothing was made for me. I have to keep making it. Everything was made for me. The ocean, though I didn't know it till I murdered. What evil did I murder that I finally knew the ocean? No evil, no evil. I simply saw the ocean. I saw the ocean for the first time, after having seen it for 2,000 years. And when I finally saw the ocean, it murdered evil for me. You ask me to define evil. I don't know. I can't. I can only say there are things that stand in the way of other things, and the ocean murders all of them. Hmm. 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 What we love most is definitely going to kill us. Hallelujah. Wade in the water. Wade in the goddamn water. I have been waiting. I wade and wade and don't even know. The water dissolves me. The soothing water. The water as mother. The water is burning. I am ready to burn. I am burning me up. Every day I burn and burn. Every day I lose the wade. I cannot tell me the water. Words never in or of the water. They are dancing around it. They are pointing to the water. I am pointing to the water. I say, look, look, water. I say, where? This is a depressing poem. I mean, not that they're all not sort of in this book. This book's like pretty deathy, but um, this, I wrote this right after I moved to L.A. So I was like very depressed. Actually, L.A. turned out to be great, um, but I thought I was going to hate it. So I was still coasting on the hatred vibe, and then slowly it surprised me in a lovely way. Okay. <laughs> Necroglow. Wreck my temporary wrists in the white of the sun. The sun says it is happiness, but I get colder. And everything become a stairway to a hospital. And I, from self to nature, back to self. And dark is the dark of having to be a body. Day life in the boneyard, not my own. The cruel of the mind in the sack of the having to die. The sunlight laughing in my face because it knows. And everything goes tone deaf when it is born. Deaf to the howls of the other side. Blind to the sane of the dead and dying. Sand on the mirror from my last life. Go there, honey, go under the ground. I who never wished to be free. I see freedom and I am mourning. The shadows of boys in the sun. They are forever and I am melting. 
Maybe I can be here just this once. Maybe I can eat the part that is dying. Maybe I'll shit out the minutes. I have been waiting to be split open. I wait for words from the other side. Wings should reveal themselves big and kind. Everyone is crying really hard. Okay, so I'll just read like one or two more. Um, I have some more about boys. I'll read like two more. And thank you so much for having me. And congratulations to Tommy on his new book. Very exciting. And it's really good. I got to read it early. So you should all get a copy. Um, All right. Boring Angel. Now I know the trick is fantasy. I always knew it. But I didn't know the problem of bodies. Or I didn't know it entirely. How you must abandon the bones of the real. No angel wings projected on the ribcage. I had blood-stained sheets and I could not let go. I noosed myself on them in the woods and hung there for 18 days until I myself became an angel. Now I make love with no body. I do it with my halo, chanting. Set me alive and fucking. A boy attached to no reality. He who needs no milk or punishing. He who will never abandon. How I love my celestial being. He who will never corpse. We are only air, my seraph boy and me. Fucking with no eyes and flying. Long Tomb. My pussy tastes like rain to you. I will not make this a romantic poem. Poems are made of mistakes. Poems about poetry are mistakes. I look to mistakes and say, am I okay? I look to mistakes and say, make me okay. My pussy tastes like pussy, and I have been scared since the day I was born. Thank you. Um, hey, what's up? Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for having me, Skylight. Thank you so much for reading, Melissa. Melissa's a friend of mine that I've known for a while now, but um, that was back when we both lived in Brooklyn, and she moved out here, and I haven't seen her since. So it's so happy. I'm so happy to um, celebrate the launch of my book with her uh, in L.A. This place is great. The last time I was here, I got fucked at the Line Hotel. <laughs> um, yeah, we. thank you. Thank you. Um, we couldn't go back to his place because he lives with his girlfriend. Um, and then it, like, it actually wasn't very good. And then he left, and I was like, can I stay? And he was like, sure. And so I just like ordered up a picture of Mai Tais, a cheeseburger. I got into a robe, and I watched Insecure. It was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so my book is like a long poem. You're going to like it. I'll just start. <laughs> um, I can't write a nature poem because it's fodder for the noble savage narrative. I would slap a tree across the face, I say to my audience. Let's say I'm at a pizza parlor. Let's say I'm having a slice at the bar. This man walks in to pick up his to-go order. Let's say his order isn't ready yet. 
and he's chatty. Let's say I'm in Portland because people don't talk to me in NYC. Let's say he's like, meatballs are for the baby, pizzas for the little man, Caesar salads for the wife, and the beer, he points to the beer and then thumbs at himself, the beer's for me. He has one of those uh, cracked skin summer smiles. He keeps talking like I want to hear him. Like he's so comfortable. Like everybody owes him attention. I'm a weirdo Indian faggot. He puts his hands on the ribs of my chair, asks, do I want to go into the bathroom with him? Let's say it doesn't turn me on at all. Let's say I literally hate all men because literally men are animals. That's the kind of nature I would write a poem about. Captive and being returned to the wild. Captive breeding and release program. Marius the giraffe put down by his handlers at Copenhagen Zoo. Dissected in front of patrons and fed to the lions. Literally fed to the lions in 2014. Child slaves sleeping on fishing nets in Somalia, in Bangkok. Okay, Cupid asks, what's worse? A starving child or a starving dog? And I'm like, is this a fucking joke? Dragonflies experience a kind of quantum time. They see a much richer spectrum of colors like a range of snow-capped mountains on molly and mushrooms and sherbet watercolors and I'm supposed to believe we're such miracles? Ray Rice punches his girlfriend unconscious on camera and drags her out of the elevator and I'm supposed to give a fuck about pesticides? That's not the kind of nature I would write a poem about. Oh, but you don't look very Indian. Is a thing people feel comfortable saying to me on dates. What rhymes with fuck off and die? It's hard to look like something most people remember as a ghost, but I understand the allure of wanting to know. Knowledge, or its approximate artifice, is a kind of equilibrium when you feel like a flea in whiskey. I used to read a lot of perfect poems. Now, I read a lot of garbage by A.R. Ammons. The old mysteries avail themselves of technique. It's disheartening to hear someone say, there's no magic left, because I love that YouTube of Amy Winehouse singing Love is a Losing Game at the Mercury Prize ceremony, and yesterday, I overheard that Brooklyn means broken land. There aren't many earthquakes in the city, but there's the fault line of my head that I'll always live on. Pain is alienating, but blue breath breaking on a voice is the kind of magic that makes people believe. What, I learned to ask, does an Indian person look like exactly? Gay men are the worst people ever. Because if they don't want to fuck you, you're nothing to them. But they love dogs. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all like, hair popper. You're like, fuck you, fuck your dog. I'm sorry, fuck your baby, fuck your relationship, fuck your couple's Instagram. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. When I say, <laughs> when I say I'm having a catfish bond me, what I mean is leave me alone. What I mean is I love candy, but I'm an adult. I only let myself have candy at the movies. So I've been going to the movies a lot. 
Sometimes on dates, I buy the box of gold bears, but keep them scrunched in the cup holder on the armrest because I don't want him to think I'm the kind of adult who still hoovers candy, by which I mean, I don't want to be the kind of adult who still hoovers candy, but fuck, I still bought him, like, in good fun, was going to offer him some, but he doesn't like sweets. And I thought too long about the prospect of box of gummies breach, and we've been kind of cuddling, so the flick is halfway over, and all those other snacky losers finish their soppy nachos and shit are just wrapped in the movie like a normal fucking person and it's way past the crinkling hour but holla fucking Louia, he has to pee so I quick rip the shit like a bird neck eat a handful of gummy bears shove the box back in my backpack before he gets back NBD crisis averted earth a golden orbit of simplicity <laughs> my mixtape drops later this year <laughs> um, I shoot through your stupid sky like a stupid sky. You're like, <laughs> you're like the third convertible in a row. Or like seafoam socks in the fat far rockaways. I can't look you in the eye and listen at the same time. You're not stupid at all. You say things like the skin of art. But here with me, in the back of this margarita, oh, you must be very stupid. People here wear stupid shirts that button all the way to the top of the tower and inevitably fall. I look too much into the mirror of my worst self, so life feels like always breaking in a new pair of shoes. And my hunches will be naked soon, having sex like those hand soaps that smell like parsley. Sort of refreshing, but chemical. Nothing like the real thing. And you would probably notice if we fucked with all my clothes on because you're, of course, so hazel and stupid. Nothing can fall that wasn't built. Except maybe my self-esteem, because I have a hunch that I was born with it intact, but then America came, smacked me across the face and said, like it. And the sick thing, do you want to know what the sick thing is? The sick thing is getting smacked across the face makes me so wet right now. And that's probably why poetry. Because in order to get inside, a poem has to break you. Like the way the only thing more obvious than your body is leaving your shirt on in the pool. Everyone's looking for their stupid soulmate right now. Sade likens dating to war. Says she's on the front lines, which is also a kind of hunger. Really? I just see the teeth. Or a desert. You know you're thirsty when you wonder, does the bartender think I'm cute? Or is he trying to get a tip? But that's the wilds for you. Everyone wants to know, where can they meet a good guy? and then wants to go to a gay bar on a Saturday night? I'm cool with contradictions, but don't lie to yourself. Hope is a charred skeleton of a house visible from a road that snakes through the valley of memory where fig trees burst from the ground like throaty laughter. Winter, like thirst, is one of nature's ultimate burns, implicit in which is the analogy of touching a hot stovetop. I'm tired of astrology and BFFs saying, find the spring, because spring is an asshole, getting your hopes and temps up and then plunging like self-esteem. Plus, it's nearly half terrifying to show again the sea of my body. And yet, I like the way my head shivers 
resting on your stomach when you say, boy, if I keep hanging out with you, I'm going to get a six-pack from laughing. (laughs) Stars are characters in the tome of the night sky, which I should work more at deciphering, but no, I'll just sit here and think about the sequel to A Beautiful Mind I just invented called A Ugly Bag. (laughs) 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 And literally can't stop giggling to myself in the cool quiet office like it's bad it's like a high school math test someone farted situation tracing shapes in the stars is the closest I get to calling a language mine the ripening mango three snaps in a Z formation Amy Winehouse naming is basic and audacious acclaim my ideal power couple name is Tom Killa, Tommy and Dracula. <laughs> Tom Killa, because I'm pretty sure that ancient horror faggot could get it. Plus, I'm into upward mobility. I know my way around caskets, and I would love to miss myself through doors. I sit in the cool, quiet office and invent myself some laughs in an attempt to maneuver from a sticky kind of ancestral sadness, being an Indian person in occupied America. And the magic often works until I think, why is it so damn hard to spell maneuver? Why does it always look wrong? My great-grandparents had almost no contact with white people, like the shutter of a poem is the only place where I can illusion myself some authority. Everyone remembers the weather when discovering a body. I think it's perfectly natural to look skyward. It took tons. No, I don't want to do that one. Sorry. Um, Body. Let's never go to Vegas, okay? Body. Let's never talk to those who feel nothing in front of neon signs or those who talk about how death is the only perfection. Are we confronting thoughts or pushing them aside? I want to fuck. Hey, I remember the 90s. I was friends with the 90s. I had anxiety in the 90s. I remember hearing Princess Die died on the radio, not knowing who she was, but my mother was weirdly devastated, talking about it to the paramedics, carrying away my auntie. To be comfortable in your cement is a miracle. It hugs. It feels like a voice. A voice has skin. I'm looking at the stars on the sea. Let's never go-go. There's no such thing as a perfect ending. You just have to stand up and say, I'm ready to leave. When a star dies, it becomes any number of things, like a black hole or a documentary. The early universe of our skin was remarkably smooth. And now I stand in a rapidly dampening Christina Aguilarity. The first stars were born of a gravity. My ancestors. Our sky is really the only thing same for me as it was for them, which is a pretty stellar inheritance. (laughs) I don't know how they made sense of that swell up there, how they survived long enough to make me, and I'm sort of at war with sentimentality, generally, but 
that absence of an answer, yet suggestion of meaning, isn't ultimately that different from a poem. So I've started reading the stars. Nothing is possible until it happens, like digesting sulfur instead of sunlight or friends with benefits. Poems were my scripture, and the poets, my gods, but even gods, I mean especially gods, are subject to the artifice of humanity. I look up at the poem, all of them up there in the hot sky, and fall into the water, a stone. What if I really do feel connected to the land? What if the mountains around the valley where I was born? What if I see them like faces when I close my eyes? What if I said hi to them in the mornings and now all their calls go to voicemail? What if I would ride my big wheels down the drive too fast head first into the chaparral and I'd steal myself from them, scratchy? Having felt the pulse? What if I said sorry under my breath when I sat on moss on the rock at the crick behind myself? I would look like a freaking moron basket case. I get so disappointed by stupid Indians writing their dumb nature poems like, grow up, faggots. I look this thought full in the face, and I want to throw myself into traffic. Admit it. This is the poem you wanted all along. It's hard to be anything but a pessimist. When you feel the earth rotting away on so many home pages, and Taylor Swift is an idiot, and cigarettes cost an arm and a leg. I'm on a porch. I'm petting kitties. And there's lavender in the air. The sun is over the hill. And my friend Roy knows the names of all the plants in his front yard. One of the kitties is named Witch Baby, and she likes to perch around your neck. The air is clear, and all across Instagram, peeps are posting pics of the sunset. Thanks. What are we doing? <laughs> Do you want to answer questions? You Do can. I? Up to you. Do you? Does anybody have any questions? You don't have any questions. You just want to buy a book, right? So how long have you lived in Los Angeles? I don't live here. I'm just visiting. Uh-huh. I go back to Brooklyn on Tuesday. Okay. But it's mighty nice. <laughs> Four years. Yes. Well, I think I took well, oh, I took yours matter. because that has a T and this one has an M. But whatever. We can share. Both yours. <laughs> Anybody else? No, you good? Buy a book. I'll sign it. Why is Mm. I was with my best friend, and she was like, "I can't. I just feel like I can't." eat watermelon or eat fried chicken in front of white people. And I was like, you know, I don't feel like there's like there's like such a 
I always kind of felt like this pressure as like a, a native person writing poetry to write about nature. And I was like, you know what? I can't fucking write a nature poem. That's not something I could ever do. And the guy was like, and there was this guy at the bar, the peanut gallery. And he was just like, <laughs> he was like, what are you talking about? You can't do something. You could do anything you put your mind to. Don't limit yourself. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Um, but instead of having like, I just, I was like, you know what I mean? I don't get paid to teach people. So, um, uh, uh I just kind of sat with that feeling and I just started writing like a poem against nature and it ended up becoming a nature poem. <laughs> well, so I got really excited about your, your work one night. I know people really follow you and are much more knowledgeable than I am, but um, I really liked what you're doing. And so you live in LA now, or you, you do, and you lived in New York before? Okay. And, and when you were way younger, you lived in LA too? Uh, San Francisco for a minute, okay. but I was like very drunk the whole time. Okay. <laughs> Two years in a blackout. Well, she has some great stuff on YouTube that's really, really profound. I mean, a lot of it, I just thought, reading your poetry, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm just wondering, because you know this L.A., New York thing, and because you're so open and honest about your emotional states, do you feel like geography has some something to do with... Um, I mean, you really catch on to what people are feeling right now, this kind of dislocation with themselves and with their emotions. And, and uh, I, you just hit a real strong chord. And, you know, it's, it, and I'm just wondering how you think of that in terms of geography and the places you've lived. Or can you just riff a little bit about how you feel um, expressing your, your, your just simply emotionally where you are, why that has been so resonant with people, and, and how, what's your take on on what you're doing, or do you just not think about it, or, you know? Well, I guess, um, so I was really scared. I moved here because my husband has a um, progressive neuroimmune disease, and so the sun, so that, like, definitely, you know, contributes to my sadness, so to speak. One could call it sadness, whatever. But so, um, so we, I didn't want to move here, um, but we had to because of the weather is, like, for him, it was necessary at that point. I had been in New York for 10 years. He had been in New York his whole life, and it was like, and we were at an impasse with his health. He was like bedridden. So we moved here. I didn't want to move here. Um, and then I think the thing I was most afraid of moving from New York to Los Angeles is that I wasn't going to be able to run away from myself anymore. Mm. Like, but luckily, I found plenty of ways to escape myself in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but that was, I think, my biggest fear, you know, was just that, like, the pace, like, the slowness, like, I'd be forced to sit with myself, ew. And so, um, but what happened was it ended up changing my writing a lot. Like I was, I only wrote poetry in New York and then, and tweets. And then um, when I moved here, I started dick, uh, so I would write poetry on the subway on my iPhone a lot. Like I like to write in places where I'm not supposed to be writing. I don't like writing at a desk. Um, and so I started driving in my car here and I started dictating and the pieces started getting longer and longer and more narrative and that's how the book of essays happened and then um, I wrote a novel and that'll come out next May um, that way so it really like I don't think it LA has like uh, changed my internal world like in terms of my psychological climate but in terms of like how I maybe channel it you know there's different tools and so it's definitely like altered my writing in that way so can I follow up and ask then, so is it the way you relate to language and the way you relate to form that changes with geography, or would you say that's not it? I think geography impacted literally the physical process of how I write, you know, like from typing to dictation, and that um, influenced the form. 
It's funny that you talk about that, that dictating uh, allowed you to write or, or gave your writing um, more of like an expanse because that's how I do it. Like, I, I walk around and I dictate. That's how I get my first drafts out there. That's awesome. Yeah. Like poems? Mm-hmm. I always, I'm always like, oh, fucking line breaks. <laughs> like, I'm dictating, I'm like, let's go, you know? Like, I don't... That's interesting. Yeah. Because I'm not familiar with your work at all, but you're conversationalist, so you really, um, you light up everyday language. And I guess that would be not really page-oriented, so... Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like... It would have to feel good in my mouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like if I couldn't, if I couldn't defensively, if it couldn't defensively go in and out of my mouth, then I couldn't put it into a poem. You know, so like that's why I think dictation really helps me in the beginning. Is there anything private about your life? What? <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm of a different generation, and we're always thinking about how privacy is no longer possible. I mean, at least the conversations I've had with my friends mm-hmm. who are writers, and um, and I like the way that you go out there without. Um, so I. Would, how would you define your boundary on private? I mean, just not getting private, but, you know. Well, I mean, I don't... Uh, uh, my first book, IRL, a nature poem, and the third book that's coming out this time next year, it's called Junk. They all follow a character that I made. Okay. So it's not, like, autobiographical. So they're, like, um, character poems? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Tommy, um, after hearing you say that you sort of started out writing something like reeling against this pressure you feel like you have to do something and it turned out to be in the end something else what did you maybe did you learn anything from that process either about yourself or or the artistic journey or anything yeah I feel like the first book that I wrote kind of happened by accident. I was just kind of like writing, and I was like, "Oh, this! I think this is turning into something." Nature poem is more. It was more of a like, "I'm going to sit down and write this thing," um, and so that was the book where I kind of really learned how to turn my create, like I how to utilize my creativity. Like I could, it was a utility. I could turn it on, work on something, and then turn it off. Um, but it was also like I feel like uh, throughout the book there are like all these judgments. Like. I can't write a nature poem because of this. This is why I would. This is what I would put in my nature poem. We're like, fuck all these people for doing these dumbass things. I'm the greatest. Um, <laughs> but so so it's continually railing against something or defending itself against something. It's it's really defensive and aggressive. And then, I mean, where it ended was just like. It was just like a series of observations. I'm sitting on a porch and I'm petting a kitty and there's lavender in the air. And there wasn't, and peeps are posting pics of the sunset. So I wanted, I, when I got to that point, I was like, I think this is done. Because I felt like it was a moment of acceptance and um, not a moment of judgment. And so I, I kind of like taught myself how to do that, I think, by writing the book. Yeah, the freedom, I definitely felt the freedom you gave yourself maybe throughout it. So, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Are we done? (laughs) You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.